It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Conspiracy theories. They are intriguing, fascinating, and possibly even true. But is meditating on them making the body of Christ stronger at present? Hey, this is Eric. Before we launch into this very fascinating message about the plotting of evil in the Ardennes forests in the late autumn months of 1944, I wanted to mention that if you have missed the previous 77 episodes in this series, go to ellersley.com forward slash daily, and you will find that we have all of them organized so that you can catch up on all the action. Now let's head to this heavily forested region in northern France and southern Belgium, known as the Ardennes. The date is December 16, 1944. Inside this vast forest region, a great evil is plotting, or could I say, is conspiring, to suddenly leap out, surprise the American troops in that territory, and break through their line of defenses and alter the course of the war. This begs the question, do good men need to know all the movements and machinations of evil men to be able to properly defend against them? Good morning, everyone. Uh, Are you excited for a Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder? We are right smack, I don't want to say in the middle, because then that would cause a few people to panic, uh, that if if the middle episode is 78, I mean, how long is this thing going to go? But we are in the midst of a uh, rather uh, extraordinary series on World War II, and I'm using the word extraordinary because maybe it's just extraordinary for me, but I have been just amazed by the uh, the level of spiritual depth that I have been struck with in the meditation on this warfare in this is a real real warfare in real history uh, in time past and how it reflects and gives understanding to the very real warfare that we are in as the saints of God right now and so just in the <clears throat> in the flow of history uh, World War II is going to start in uh, 1939, uh, September of 1939, and then it is going to uh, end in uh, 1945. We are in the end of 1944 uh, right now, which is where we're going to land today, technically uh, December 16th, 1944. A uh, special day uh, in the Ludi family, that's Leslie's birthday. Uh, it's Amy Carmichael's birthday uh, as well. So it's a, it's a significant day. And uh, so this is uh, not particularly a day you would typically think of uh, rejoicing over uh, because it is going to be the beginning of a very, very difficult stretch of time in World War II and very defining that is going to actually... Uh, define the ending uh, of it. It is typically known in history as the Battle of the Bulge. And so uh, it's a sizable encounter that we are about to head into. However, this particular message isn't on the Battle of the Bulge. It is on that which sort of leads up to it. We're sort of in a Battle of the Bulge right now, or we're right at the cusp of it, however you would want to, to say it. And there is a malevolence hiding in the Ardennes. The Ardennes, which I will go into, uh, is a wooded territory uh, that is sort of in uh, northern France, Luxembourg, uh, Germany. It's like in this territory on the border, and it is an impassable territory, as most people would say. And so the Allies twice in World War II are going to declare that that is a safe zone. At least we do not need to think that they're going to invade through the Ardennes. And then twice in World War II, the Germans are going to invade through the Ardennes. You'd think we would learn our lesson, right? However, this is going to be very, very significant. And I'm going to press on a very specific point. And that is how we as Christians are engaging with uh, the evil plotting around us. There is evil and it is plotting. We could say conspiring, if that helps you. Uh, There are conspiracies out there, and they are seeking to destroy that which is true and that which is righteous. How do we as the saints of God engage with this nonsense? Do we make it our focus, or is there something else that is supposed to be our focus? And so I'm going to walk through this because this is a very, very practical thing. It was actually a very significant thing in World War II as well. 
And so this is called Out of the Ardennes. I actually really like the term Ardennes. It's very poetic to me. It's very beautiful, and it's a beautiful territory uh, as well. So the Ardennes is a region of extensive forests, rough terrain, rolling hills, and ridges. And so uh, this is, if you look on the map, uh, it's just at the uh, bottom zone of Belgium and sort of right on the edge of uh, Luxembourg and right at the north end of France, you're going to see this forest region. So I gave you that box so that you could at least uh, be dangerous uh, in your understanding. Now, hopefully you know where France is in, in in the European landscape so that that Uh, even make sense to you, but um, just to give you an idea of where we've been and where our our historic feet have trod uh, in the past uh, weeks is the yellow star is the beaches of Normandy, and so we landed on the beaches of Normandy, it's called D-Day, and then we got immediately stuck uh, trying to win a town called Cain. And which was hard fought, and it was amazing. After this great victory of D-Day, then we immediately ran into all sorts of problems as the Allied front. That green star is going to be a tremendous victory called the Falaise Pocket, where uh, the Germans, Hitler, is going to see a weakness in Patton's line, and he is going to hit it with seven to eight divisions, which then is going to end up falling back on him and form a pocket around him, and he is going to be devastated in an enormous victory for the Allies. And then they're going to sweep in. The blue star is, Fran- is Paris, France. And so once you win Paris, then they're going to start going north, and their goal is that red star. Antwerp, and our last message was called the V-bombs of Antwerp. That is a deep port city, and because of the supply needs, uh, they need to get all the supplies for all these troops, and there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of allied troops that need food, that need oil for their tanks, that need oil for their planes. I mean, this is like a huge issue of supply, which we've gone over. Same thing for us as the saints of God. As we move forward, we have a supply need, and that's why God promises that everything that we need for life and godliness has been supplied us, and that is very critical to recognize that God has created a supply line for his military operation. However, the Allies need a supply line, and so their supply line is coming in through that yellow star in the Normandy region and is swinging up all the way to try and support this effort to go into Germany. And you see Germany up there and see that Rhine, that Rhine River in that Rhine land that is in uh, Germany. Uh, they're, they're mustering all these hundreds of thousands of allied troops, but those troops need, need supply. So they're having to take, what would we discuss on Monday, like 20,000 tons of supplies daily on these rough European roads that are not set for it, and it's raining, so it's muddy all throughout the fall. They get stuck. This is a terrible situation. They need the Red Star, guys. And so they're going to take Antwerp, they're going to uh, go through all, I mean, that, that's what we've already covered. So um, we're just going to summarize and say, yay, <laughs> we got Antwerp. Hitler is not excited about that. Okay, now Hitler, as, as we have discussed many times over, we've sort of, without studying Hitler, you'll notice that I didn't give any sessions just on Hitler. However, any more than the Bible just gives chapters or, or, or books of the Bible just on Satan. However, you get familiar with him as you go through that territory, and you start to understand his motive, you understand his movements, you understand his susceptibilities. Ironically, they would be the same as Hitler. Satan and Hitler, wow, uh, there's a lot of similarities. He is a very arrogant and pompous individual that does not accept defeat. And as a result, he will put himself into situations that will actually destroy him. In the end, it will destroy Hitler because of his own ego. He wants Antwerp back. And so he begins to connive and to plot and to conspire in the woods of Ardennes. And so what you're going to see is a conspiracy that is going to hatch and you could just imagine all the conspiracy theorists back in 1944. So I, I bet Hitler is up to something. Yeah, I, I bet he is too. In other words, it shouldn't be a shock to any of us that Hitler is up to no good. Should it be a shock to any of us right now if I were to say, yep, there are bad people out there that are up to no good? I think that shouldn't catch us off guard. Like, what? What, what is this? Tell me more. You see, there are bad people out there that are set on fire by the fires of hell. They're 
inspired to do things that are evil. Why? How? That's terrible. We live in a fallen world that is operated by a fallen angel. This world is held captive in bonds. And it is subservient, as you can testify in your own life, where you have done things that you declared you didn't want to do even, and yet you still did it. How much more to the people that never even declared they didn't want to do it that will be doing it? When you are on the side of darkness, you hate that which is light. You do, and you desire to snuff it out. So I'm just going to get it on the table up front. Yes, there are people that are malevolently working to destroy that which is good in this earth. I know it's a shocker, but it's a very real thing. And we're going to see Hitler hatching plans in the Ardennes. So I'm going to give you some pictures of the Ardennes. This will teach all the people that are doing this via podcast, you know, that it's always good to come live to Ellerslie uh, to hear the Daily Thunder. Uh, it's actually a gorgeous uh, region, and you know, I was looking at pictures of this, and it's just like, I, I really do just want to be there. Uh, and this is going to turn into, uh, as some have described it, imagine if a tornado came through town, that's what the Ardennes are going to look like. In other words, it's just going to be, artillery is just going to devastate it, it's just going to be completely I mean, destroyed in so many regards. But it's a gorgeous uh, territory. <clears throat> So flashback, the Ardennes, May 10th, 1940. So if you know your World War II history, you're going to know that May 10th is a very significant day. Uh, There was something called the Twilight War, where war was declared and uh, Great Britain and France have said, hey, no, you can't just take Poland, you know, and so there's this little skirmish and, and then nothing's really happening. It's not like World War I, which when it started, it really started. World War II is going to start sort of funny where there's gonna have this twilight war and no one really knows what's going on and are we supposed to do something? And, but Hitler is mm, conniving and he is conspiring in the Ardennes forest again, okay? He's doing the same thing that he's gonna do in 1944. He's doing it in 1940. Why is he hiding in a forest? Well, because when you take your planes and you fly over it, you can't see anything. You can't see the malevolence. It's a hiding place and the devil loves hiding places. And so in May 10th, 1940, by the way, Winston Churchill is going to become prime minister on the 13th. (laughs) And so that is, this is like right in the center of what would be called the darkest hour in history. Okay. So out of the Ardennes forest is going to burst forth this Nazi attack on Belgium, the Netherlands, and Holland. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. The Netherlands, Belgium, and France. And we're going to call it the surprise from the forest. So we've been here before. You'd think we would learn our lesson, right? And yet, in 1944, it's interesting because the Ardennes region, there's a line, the Siegfried line, that is going to be the defenses of Germany from, them going, from the Allies going uh, to the east uh, into Germany and taking Nazi territory. There's this one territory that the, that the Allies are going to send their troops for rest, that have been on the front lines, like the ones that just fought in Antwerp, you know where they're going to be sent? To the line that uh, is on the Ardennes, because the Germans will not attack there. Isn't that the irony of ironies? And that's precisely where they are going to attack. So all the guys that needed rest, all the ones that are worn out, are going to be right there. So that makes for quite the drama. So Ardennes, December 16th, 1944, the surprise from the forest. Winston Churchill says, a heavy blow now impended. The Allied decision to strike hard from Aiken in the north as well as through Alsace in the south had left our center very weak. And so I'm going to make a little map here for us. uh, And you're going to see this line, this line of American troops that is spread along uh, this territory is right in the Ardennes region. Most of that is the Ardennes forest. And that's going to be a line, but it's going to stretch out. And again, it's, it's trying to cover a lot of territory. It's four divisions that are covering 75 miles. By the way, that's a lot of miles for four divisions. That's a lot of miles. Uh, and so when you start spreading your men out, you become thin. 
And I don't know if this thin line sounds familiar because this is exactly what is going to bait Hitler. Remember Operation Ludich in the Falaise pocket? It was a thin line of, of, of Patton that is going to bait Hitler into an attack. So the difference is Hitler is going to see this and then he is going to connive. And he is going to begin to move all of his resource into this forest unseen. And the allies genuinely have no idea that this is about to hit. And with all, I mean, the, the allies, one of the things about the Americans and the British is they are ingenious with their spy network and their intelligence. And so the fact that they didn't know about this, you have to give Hitler, you know, a nod for that. Okay, that, that's pretty impressive. And you even hear the word, I think Churchill is going to use the word remarkably. Okay, he's going to use the adverb remarkably to describe Hitler's movement. Sort of like remarkably, he pulled this off. Okay, so that's a compliment from, from Churchill who does not like Hitler. Okay, just, just so you guys know. So here we have our line. In the Ardennes sector, a single corps, the 8th American of four divisions, held a front of 75 miles. The risk was foreseen and deliberately accepted, but the consequences were grave and might have been graver. In other words, they actually knew they were thin. However, this is the Ardennes region. So since it's the Ardennes region, I think we'll be safe, even though there is a risk. So the enemy loves thin lines. He's studying us all day long, every day, looking for thinness. This is just what he does. He's studying us looking for weakness. So there's our line, and there's the Ardennes forest region. So that's precisely where we're at. And again, all these are, not only is it just a few divisions here, but these are the resting divisions. These are the ones that are exhausted, that are worn out, that need a reprieve. And so not only do we have a very limited number of troops here, but they're the ones that are trying to get a rest and a break. So do you guys sense... Uh, something coming here. I think I've already given a spoiler alert that I called this the Battle of the Bulge, so I, maybe you guys are already on to me uh, of where this is going. By a remarkable feat, the enemy gathered about 70 divisions on their western front. Now, how many divisions did we have? We had four in this zone. By a remarkable feat, oh, I said he was going to say remarkably. It's a remarkable feat, okay? That's still a compliment. That's an adjective of the feat. By a remarkable feat, the enemy gathered about 70 divisions on their western front of 15, which 15 were armored. Many were under strength and needed rest and re-equipment. This is even speaking of the Germans. They were wiped out as well. And many of them were under strength and needed rest and re-equipment. But one formation, the 6th Panzer Army, was known to be strong and in good fettle. This potential spearhead had been carefully watched while it lay in reserve east of Aiken. When fighting on that front died down in early December, it vanished. So there was a front up in the north, north end of that line that I showed you, where this huge division, uh, this panzer division, which is a tank division, uh, had vanished uh, for a while from the ken of our intelligence, from our understanding. And bad flying weather hindered our efforts to trace it. Eisenhower suspected that something was afoot, though its scope and violence came as a surprise. So it's like we just lost a panzer division. We have no idea where they just went. Okay? And so they lost track, their intelligence system, because of the bad flying, whether they couldn't survey what was taking place, they couldn't see the movements. And now we have a whole bunch of Hitler stuff hanging out in the Ardennes, and we don't know it. Okay? It's going to come as a surprise. The Germans had indeed a major plan. Rundstedt, that's uh, the German uh, supreme commander, assembled two panzer armies, the 5th and 6th, and the 7th army, a total of 10 panzer and 14 infantry divisions. This is a massive force. This great force, led by its armor, was intended to break through the Ardennes to the River Meuse, swing north and northwest, cut the Allied line in two, seize the port of Antwerp, there's Antwerp again, and sever the lifeline of our northern armies. So what he wanted to do is cut off our supply line and get right at the heart of it. If he could get Antwerp back, he cuts off our northern army from the southern, and then his goal is to come up with a treaty which would be favorable to the Nazis. In other words, he knows he's going to lose this war, 
But if he can get Antwerp and cut them off and have a whole bunch of British troops separated from their supply line, uh, he's got some good negotiating fodder uh, for the table. And so this is his plan. This is his great movement. The stroke was planned by Hitler, who would brook no changes in it on the part of his doubting generals. One of the things you'll note from World War II is Hitler's generals are always doubting. Hitler's generals are always like, uh, sir, but, but sir. Hitler is going to be led by something known as the voice. He even calls it that, capital V, the voice. And this voice is going to counsel him. And it's ironic, but some of his biggest mistakes in the war were when he didn't listen to the voice. <laughs> now, I'm not complimenting the voice. I'm saying this voice was evil. And it was giving him wisdom and insight of how to defeat this enemy. And as he submitted to the voice, it's amazing, but he was extremely successful. Okay, Now, I'm not encouraging you to listen to that voice. I'm saying it is interesting to recognize that there is someone that is conspiring on behalf of the Germans that is not German. It is a spiritual power that is seeking to destroy truth and justice, that is wanting to devastate weakness, that pounces on anything that is other than this same disposition of darkness. If anything would dare stand against it, it is enemy number one. So here we are, this is uh, sort of our mental picture for it. We have the German armies over there and then we have a thin American line. The Battle of the Bulge is almost exclusively American. The Americans are going to lose more men in this one battle than in any battle in all of US history. This is a massive thing for us as Americans, which is why we as Americans typically know about the Battle of the Bulge and we don't know about a lot of other battles that I've mentioned in, the, in this time. Uh, and yet, uh, what we see is an American line which is uh, thin and vulnerable. And what we think is on the other side of that line is just sort of your average defenses uh, of the Germans. I mean, they're weak, they're tired, and so they can't muster more power to stick there anyways. I mean, they're fighting on the Eastern Front against Soviet Russia. They're fighting in Italy. They're, I mean, they, they have a lot of fronts right now. They can't spend 70 divisions in that forest, or could they? So just to give you an idea, if I were to say, no, they're actually building up an army, and if we were to make it actually mathematically the way it was, I just can't fit them all there, okay? This is like unfair. This isn't even right. How could Germany, they're taking so much of their strength. That's why uh, that's why Churchill is going to say, remarkable, <laughs> it's remarkable what they pulled off, and we didn't see it. Uh, there's a conspiracy uh, right there to destroy uh, America, right there, okay, do you see it? Does this look like 19, or 2020, or is this 1944? Okay, let's get down so we can at least imagine this a little better, right? Because they're on top of each other, they're not spread out throughout all of Europe. So the movement, which is called the Battle of the Bulge, I'm gonna do that for you again. Now this will, again, teach everyone who isn't here live to be able to see this cool thing that I'm doing on the screen. I have the Germans on uh, one side to the east, and I have the American thin line of all flags on the, the left in that Ardennes region, and you're gonna see actually how the Battle of the Bulge works, and when I click the, the, to this, this, the, the next slide, you're going to see all the German flags move into a bulge. And that's actually why the, the battle is going to get its name. It's going to push back and attempt to break through. If it breaks through, it is planning on swinging up, which it's fully intending to, is swing up into Antwerp. Now, I'm not going to give any spoilers away of what's going to happen here. I mean, if you were to find out what was going to happen, you may not come back to my next sessions. And so I need to hold certain things close to the vest. <clears throat> I don't want any of you studying history uh, in the meantime. <laughs> So the conspiracy in 1944, an evil party is plotting in the Ardennes, hiding their panzer divisions in the dense forest cover. The conspiracy in 2020, an evil party is plotting in the Ardennes, hiding their panzer divisions in the dense forest cover. Isn't it hard to discern which age and generation we're in when we share these stories? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. America seems weak. We are unguarded in so many regards. It seems like we're easy prey. 
at this exact moment. And some of us even feel it. We, we know that we're weak. But we don't know exactly how to fortify the Ardennes region right now. So how are we supposed to handle these things? This is leading to, even the word conspiracy triggers all sorts of emotion in the body of Christ today. And, you know, the idea of a conspiracy theory is like, whoa, conspiracy theories. And some people just love conspiracy theories. Some people, not so much. The conspiracy, this conspiracy is not new. The devil has been hatching devious plots to overthrow the kingdom of heaven since the beginning. This is very, very important for us to know right now. This is not new. And so as a result, the response to the devious plotting is also not new. What are we as the church supposed to do in response to devious plotting? Is there a pattern in the scripture for how we are to reason and think through these things? The devil wants to play us. And part of how he plays us is through what we could call fear and anxiety. If fear and anxiety rules at any level within the church, it actually disables. It actually weakens our line more than anything else. And as a result, the fear of the unknown, the devil lurking in the forest, is actually one of his best techniques for undermining our strength as the body of Christ. And this is why dealing with what we call conspiracy theories is a very, very delicate matter. It's a challenging one for us to know how to have a clear idea and approach towards, which is why I'm giving this message. The question, are evil men plotting to overthrow truth and justice at present? Yes. <gasps> so how do you respond to that? The fact that there are evil men, and I could say evil powers if that makes you feel like it's you know, even more grand, Evil powers, evil men and, and women are plotting to overthrow truth and justice at present. Now, all you have to do is turn on the television or go to your online media source, news source, and you'd know that, right? This isn't hidden. The question is, if that is true, how are you supposed to respond? And listen to this next question. If so, do Christians need to understand these plots and schemes and labor to thwart them? This is a very interesting and almost what I could call delicate and dicey issue. Because if I were to say, yes, do you know that I could totally throw off balance the church of Jesus Christ with one statement? It's like everything on a ship would move to one side and it would sort of begin to tip. Because it isn't just a yes in that. I would say, hmm. Well, let me give you some reasoning points is how I would respond. In other words, I'm not going to answer that question because it's a bad question. I want to answer it by giving you some truth points, some reasoning points, some principles of God's word so that we know better how to appropriate all of these things. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. So in Philippians, you're going to have a guy in prison in the midst of all sorts of conspiracies. Okay, you have a conspiracy back in Paul's day to thwart the church of Jesus Christ. And, I mean, you could almost say at a heightened level far greater than what we're experiencing here in America. Our challenge as Americans is we have never really had the evil exposed in our country. We have cloaked it for so many years. In a, in a funny way, it's almost as a, a protection for the dignity of our country. It's like, look, you know, we don't actually have that going on here. When, when we've had evil plotting against the truth of Jesus Christ in this country right from the beginning, and we could go back through American history, and you're going to see all the way through our history, there has been an attempt to destroy this very country, the very fabric of it. Why? Because there's an enemy out there, and he's not human. And he hates what this country has represented. I mean, we're the factory for missionaries, what do you think the devil's perspective on this country is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't take a very intelligent person to conclude on that. So if he sees a thin line, where do you think he's going to muster his forces? Now, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm going to give you a hint. The D Hitler is going to muster his forces, and he is going to expend them to try and break a thin line of America. And ultimately, if you were to actually say, how did the war end? Well, it didn't end right there, but it did. Hitler 
is going to expend his best resources and he'll never get them back. He lost them trying to pull this off. And so that's just a, I know, spoiler alert. But I want you to recognize that even though we can be thin, do we fear what comes out of the Ardennes forest? This is, what, this is where I want us to recognize how Paul is articulating this. Okay, he's, he's right there. He's right there, right in the Ardennes. I mean, he's in the Battle of the Bulge right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, that's a strange attitude towards this terrible evil that is encroaching upon the world, Paul. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, some of you, as you're listening to this, could say, what does this have to do with what we're talking about, though? I mean, yeah, that's good stuff, but, and I would say it has everything to do with what we're talking about. The way we handle military action as the church of Jesus Christ is very different than what we're going to see in the history books in World War II. The way we as Christians function is we do stand up against evil and we do resist evil when it comes. However, one of the key attributes, one of the key aspects of the weaponry of our warfare, which is not carnal but is mighty to the throwing down of strongholds, is very odd to the human brain. Rejoice, always, and again, I'm gonna tell you, rejoice. Well, what, how's that gonna make any difference in this world? Have you tried it? Are you doing it? Because this is the command, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you that you rejoice always, that you pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So yes, I know you are a thin line right now, Rejoice, but I hear some movement, some rustling in the underbrush of the Ardennes. Oh, do you? You rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But, but I hear some, some scurrying about. Some critters are in there. Are there? Here's what I ask of you. Focus. Focus on your king right now. You keep your gaze here, not on the critters that are scurrying around in that forest. The, God of, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's going to continue. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So if we just actually listened to that one scripture, I do not know if we would actually go to a news source today, including Fox News. Because the news cycle is based on everything that could possibly be going on in the Ardennes forest. It's its entire focus. Meanwhile, God's news cycle is right here, as we just read. And so the question is, where are you turning for your meditations? This is actually what is going to define which way the battle is going to turn. If you are turning towards the enemy and making him your focus, or if you are turning towards your commander saying, I trust that you know exactly where the enemy movements are, I need to know where your movements are so I can be in stride with you. You see, the God we serve is not caught off guard. Yes, we can be. But if we are fixed in the right, appropriate way towards our commander, we are secure in every circumstance because he is never taken off guard. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So, Paul's life becomes a template. Even at the very end of this exhortation, he's going to say, the way I handled it, you handle it that way too. Which could be a study in and of itself, which we don't have enough time for. The key to victory, focus, focus, focus on Christ. 
So there is a bait that we have, and that is to lose this focus that is on Christ. And yet we feel wise when we do it. When we take our focus off of Christ, the bait is that we feel like we are being dutiful and wise and taking care of key things in our life to secure our own health, our own prosperity in the midst of all of this. this is a very, that's why this is a delicate issue. Matthew 6, 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is a very difficult scripture for many of us to actually ingest and to take seriously. He's using the birds as an illustration because every one of us knows that, look at the birds, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They're not doing all the wise things that they're supposed to be doing, and yet your heavenly Father knows of their needs and takes care of them. Yeah, but that's a terrible illustration. I mean, you're not supposed to be as that. Are you not of more value than they? So he's caring for them. How much more is he going to care for you? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, this is the conclusion of all that, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these the Gentiles seek. Those that don't know God, that's the way they're thinking and functioning. You are built out of a different pattern. You are hewn out of a different lumber. You do not behave as the world behaves. The world is petrified. They're worrisome. They're anxious about all these different things. And very simply put, I'm going to say, what is happening in the Ardennes and what could creep out at any moment and attack them? But you are not like them. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We got a lot of trouble lingering just on the horizon here in America. I don't know how many of you have meditated upon November 3rd, 2020. But it's a date that just sort of shouts at us and waves its banners and says, fear, (laughs) be anxious. And I don't care who you are in this country right now. If you know anything about either side, like if you're ideologically set in one position, this is a day of great discomfort because no one has any sureness of which way this is going. And if you're on one side, you're concerned that they're going to fudge, you know, the ballots and they're going to do this. The other side is concerned that you're not going to fudge the ballots and, you know, that they're going to get caught doing it. It's the whole thing's a bunch of nonsense. The whole thing is a distraction for the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we don't have to fight for righteousness. I'm saying God's saying, focus, focus. Do you know what this is about? Do you know who's in control? Do you know who has all things under his feet? And are you coming to him with your requests right now? If it is true that he is going to care for us, even more so than birds and even more so than lilies of the field, then can we rest that he knows our future and he knows the dynamics around us and he will supply for us everything we need? But what about what's going to pop out of the Ardennes forest? Which we don't know. We don't know what plan is hatching over there. Remember, there's cover of darkness over there. We don't see it all. Do we trust that our God is greater? 
the two masters axiom. You cannot serve two masters. Okay, well, we know this. You cannot serve two masters, but do we know this? So you cannot serve God and mammon is what it's going to say in Matthew 6. Now, mammon, uh, an ancient god, I should have capitalized it possibly. I didn't want to give it too much credence. Self-wealth, self-security, self-gratification. Does that help? Think about the second one in that list. You know, we have self-wealth and self-gratification on the bookends. But look at that middle one, self-security. You cannot service self-security and serve God at the same time. You cannot make everything about how you are going to survive, how you are going to be taken care of, and serve God at the same time. That's a weird tension. I don't know if you feel that. Which, of course, matches with the rest of Scripture. Do not take, uh, take no anxious thought for your life. Jesus is going to say that over and over again. Have no anxious thought for your life. What is that supposed to mean? What, am I supposed to not pay my bills? Am I so, no, it does not mean that you do not tend to the things in front of you. It's that you do not burn the fuel. It's called merimno. It's anxiety. You do not burn that for you. It's a sacred fuel, and it's meant to be burned for the glory of God. If you're going to be anxious for something, be anxious for his glory. If you're going to be anxious for something, be anxious for the lost souls around you. Do not burn that anxiety, that miramno, that sacred fuel on you. You cannot burn that sacred fuel on you and also serve God at the same time. This is not how the Christian works. Right now, you need to sort of take that fuel source, that miram now, and say, God, I've been burning it improperly. I've been taking this precious oil that you have given me that is meant to burn a flame within me and I've been spending it on myself. Whether it's for self-wealth, comfort, self-security, or self-gratification, we can't live this way, guys. We cannot serve two masters, two ways of doing it. The reason conspiracy theories are dangerous is they oftentimes get us to start burning oil for ourselves. I am not against the Allied troops flying over the Ardennes Forest and saying, aha, uh -huh, I see the Panzer Division there. And they're going to come out right here. Let's get them. I have no, nothing against strategy. I have nothing against wisdom. If I knew a storm was coming, what am I going to do? I'm going to put on a coat. I am not against it. But if I am fretting, chewing my nails because of an upcoming storm, something's wrong with my appropriation of that knowledge and that understanding. If knowing about that storm hinders me from focusing on Christ and all I'm thinking about is a storm and chewing my nails, something's wrong in my spiritual life. And for many Christians, they're chewing their nails and focused on what the enemy is up to right now instead of what God is up to. The church needs to have a PhD in what God is doing in this earth right now. And I don't think we do. I think we're more like preschool when it comes to what's going on in God's kingdom. What's God doing right now? Uh, I don't know. I never thought about that. If I said, what is the enemy doing? Well, let me tell you. We know all about what's happening in the Ardennes. At least we don't really know. We're guessing. I saw a puff of smoke over there. I bet that means, oh, I heard a bang. I bet that means we're guessing at what's going on in darkness. But the question is, do you have to know everything that darkness is plotting to be able to win this war? So that's where I want to swing this. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, says Paul to the church at Corinth. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That word for simplicity, haplotes, a singularity of focus. This mind cannot serve two masters. This life cannot have two masters. I need to choose where I'm giving my singular attentions. Am I giving them to what the devil's doing or am I giving it to what God's doing? You choose which way you want to build your military formation. And I'm going to tell you the greatest thing for a sheep to do is to keep its gaze on the shepherd and to keep right in the shadow of that shepherd against his ankle. As opposed to becoming a student of all wolf movements. What is the secret to a sheep? Their shepherd. 
The secret to a sheep is not knowing where the enemy is so he can avoid him. It's knowing where his shepherd is because his shepherd is stronger than the wolves. And as a result, if he knows where his shepherd is and where his shepherd's moving, the sheep has a secret. And it's an inconquerable secret. That sheep fears nothing. That sheep fears no wolves. And if another sheep goes, did you know that there's a wolf pack in the Ardennes? And it's, I think it's going to jump out during the night. What does the sheep do? Nestles up against the shepherd all the more. I'm going to stay here with you. And I do not fear the wolf pack because I'm with my shepherd. Have you ever seen your shepherd's rod? Clonk on the wolf's head. Wolves fear that rod. The name of Jesus is powerful. It is our strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. We need to recalibrate as the church of Jesus Christ and not be played like a fiddle. If the enemy can't destroy us, he'll distract us. Remember military rule number one. Focus on your commander. Move where your commander goes. Instant obedience. Where he goes, we follow. So singularity of focus. So the two masters uh, axiom. You cannot serve with a singularity of focus on Christ and a singularity of focus on the myriad of conspiracies against Christ. It's very hard, okay? You can't do it. Your brain can only have a singularity of focus on one thing, which is why it's called singularity. One focus. You know, as a man, I really feel this. I cannot be in 10 conversations at one time. Leslie, when she gives me a list of to-dos, if it goes over three things, I start to bobble them and drop them. I can, even three, I'm, I'm just like, whoa, this is like overwhelming. So it's usually two. It's like, go pick up Abby and go pick up the pizza from Domino's. It's like, whoa, 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 this is getting intense. I, okay, I'm going to pick up Abby. <laughs> For me, I can do one thing well. And so when I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm in that conversation. I cannot also be in this conversation. Girls have some strange propensity to be in 10 things at once. Now, I'm not sure if they're good in 10 things at once. I've never been a girl, so I don't know. I just know someone could be having a really juicy conversation right next to me in Starbucks, and I'm having a conversation. I'll miss the whole thing. I cannot listen to someone else's conversation. If I do, I'm not listening to this one, right? So I really understand the singularity of focus, and I know when my mind is fixed on things below as opposed to things above. I know it. I know when my fascination is what are they up to now? Those dirty, rotten scoundrels. What are they doing now? I know when my, when my mind <laughs> turns in that direction. It is a sizable bait. It is. But I also know the impact it has upon my spiritual life. I know how to go the distance as a Christian, and it actually is to ignore at a certain point, that noise that is going off over here, the scuffling about in the Ardennes forest to say, God, I'm on you right now. God, I trust that as I fix my gaze on you, as I seek first the kingdom and your righteousness, you will take care of my enemy over here. It's a choice. It's a battle strategy. Focus, focus, focus on Jesus. But what about all the nonsense hatching in the Ardennes? The job of the sheep is to rest in the shadow of the shepherd up against his ankle. Focus on moving with the shepherd, not on the movements of the wolf pack. If you abide at your shepherd's ankle, you will be perfectly safe when the wolves surreptitiously attack from the forest. Your shepherd is very good at caring for his loyal sheep. Abide in Christ you will bear much fruit. How do you accomplish this life? By maintaining a fellowship with your king. How do you maintain a fellowship? Focus. You cannot be played by the enemy. There is a lot of noise out there right now. And I know part of the balance in this is, does that mean we remove our watchmen from the tower and we know nothing about what's happening? I'm not saying to go to an extreme on anything. Should we not wear coats when we know a winter storm is coming? Nope. I, here's why I didn't answer that question in the beginning. 
an extreme response to say, we will never know what's going on because that's unspiritual is just as dangerous as anything. In other words, I will never look at a weather report because I trust God. I trust him to be my warm coat. Okay, that, I will not eat food because I trust that God will be my sustenance. Okay, there is a natural dimension to this life and there's things called wisdom. However, wisdom can easily be corrupted which is why we must maintain a pure wisdom by keeping our focus on Christ. And here's what I can assure you. If your focus is on Christ, you'll know everything you need to know that's coming out of the Ardennes. Everything you'll need to know, guess who will inform you if necessary? The Holy Spirit. Your job and your news source needs to first and foremost be God. Now what's funny is I have different people in my life, because I don't like watching the news, that will be my informants. It's funny how I have this. I have these different people. I could, I'm not going to say their names, but I have uh, my little list. It's like, so, uh, so-and-so. I just, I'm skipping their name. Uh, so, so-and-so. Uh, could you give me an update? And I'll get a strategic update. Eric, here's what's happening. Here's how we need to pray. All right, so, for instance, one of, uh, I had someone that made a list for me, what was it, two days ago, of all of the key conspirators in uh, Black Lives Matter, all the people behind it, uh, in uh, Antifa, all the key characters in it, all their names. Why? So we could pray for them. So we have this list, and so we'll be praying together for them. What? So that they'll be destroyed? No, so that they would be awakened. And, if necessary, hindered. That they would trip on their way out of the Ardennes forest and hopefully be struck with a bright light from heaven the way Paul the Apostle was. I don't doubt that they're sincere, just like Paul or Saul, however you want to say his name back then. However, we have a tactical strategy, but our tactical strategy is governed by our focus on Jesus and what he is doing. Well, where's Jesus moving? I think he's moving towards Black Lives Matter. Well, what's he doing there? I think he's planning on loving them. What? He can't do that. Where Jesus moves, we move. What Jesus does, we do. What Jesus speaks, we speak. If we're in alignment with that, we're going to win. Guaranteed. But isn't it unwise to not consider and prepare for the pending attack of the wolves? This is the corruption of wisdom is when we think it is wisdom to fixate on the wolf attack and actually not tend to our relationship with Christ. So here's my answer. It is unwise, so if we're going to talk about wisdom, it is unwise not to obey your shepherd. He says, stay tuned to me, my voice and my movements. He says, think on me, on my words, on my promises, on my nature, on my faithfulness. He commands us to trust him and to fix our gaze on his sufficiency. He commands us to be anxious for nothing, but rather to be rejoicing, praising, and giving thanks. So, is it unwise? Is it wisdom to take your focus away from what God said to put it on, and to stick it on what he told you not to fixate on? Or is it more wise to fix your focus on him and trust that he will lead you in how to deal with the Ardennes? The Americans are going to be caught by surprise. Okay, and you can say, see, this is exactly my point. What we're trying to avoid is another battle of the bulge. Oh, and by the way, did I mention? And it's going to crush Hitler. Yes, the Americans were weak on that front. And yes, they're going to be caught by surprise. But guess what? That line will not break. And this will end, end up coming back to destroy the Nazi regime. So what was your point again? Winston Churchill, Eisenhower suspected that something was afoot. I love that line. Eisenhower, who's the supreme commander of this entire allied operation in Europe, he suspected that something was afoot. Now listen to this. Church, Christian foresight. Sorry. The church suspected that something was afoot. I do. I have some foresight. I suspect, I mean, I could have told you when they nominated Amy Coney Barrett, and I don't think this is going to sound very, you know, grand and magical. I suspected that they would do whatever they could to destroy her. Okay, why, why would I think that? Where, where, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that there are two sides to this. You have light and you have darkness right now. It's that simple. It has never been more clear in our country, and that's what's shocking to us. It's interesting, when I did ministry work in uh, New Orleans, it was very different than the rest of this country. 
because satanic powers, like demons, actually masquerade down there in the open. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not allowed to do that in America. In America, you hide. Not in the French Quarter. You see, the French Quarter, the devil just says, this is my territory. And so as a result, I'm going to loosen up and just be more normal down here. That's what most of the world knows. They know a boasting devil. Our country is not used to seeing it, where evil actually sticks its head out and says, you know what, I'm tired of hiding. I'm just going to be blunt honest. I want to destroy you. I want you dead. We're like, what? What? He's not allowed to say that. There should be criminal charges for that. We have no grid for what we are encountering as the church. Focus. Focus. Focus on Jesus Christ right now. What is your commander-in-chief saying to do? That's all that matters. If your commander-in-chief says, go scout out the Ardennes, that's what you do. If your commander-in-chief says, stay right here, fix your gaze on me, right up against my ankle, but what about the, what about the wolf pack? What about the wolf pack? I've defeated them. Our weakness and our seeming lack of focus on the enemy's wolfish movements is tempting to the devil. Oh, it is. He loves to see us ignorant of his plots and plans and schemes. That's what the devil does. <laughs> but this very weakness will prove an unbreakable line of defense if the devil dares to attack us in that seeming weak point. Oh, they're focused on Jesus. They don't see what I'm doing. It may appear to be a weak point. The devil tries to play you in your weak points, which is your singularity of focus on Jesus. Okay, if I was the enemy, wouldn't I be wiser than that? To know that that is the Christian's great strength? Their strength is in their haplotes, in their singularity of focus, but they don't know what I'm hatching in the Ardennes. So we don't. But I know what my God is hatching against what you're hatching. And that is, he's going to be triumphant. It's that simple. His line will never be broken. You will never cut me off from my supply line. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, well, if that's the case, therefore, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to boast when my line appears weak. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is an adapted version, and we're going to make it personalized to us as the body of Christ right now. And he said to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, we should rather boast in our infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Therefore, we take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when we are weak, then we are strong. So you want to call me weak because I don't know all that is going on in the Ardennes right now? You're going to call that weak? Okay. Praise God. I, I rejoice in that weakness for that very weakness is going to prove the undoing of the enemy in my life. One of the reasons I have gone the distance in my Christian leadership is because I have chosen not to let the devil play me in my attentions. I am just as attracted to news as you are. Oh boy, am I, I, my background is constitutional law. I love this stuff. I love the intrigue. I love the battle. I love the politics. But I also know that it loves to play me like a fiddle. And it will distract me off my course. So Lord, I'm making my focus on you right now. Because I want to say, but I need to know so that. And, and God says, so that what? Well, you know, I just need to be wise. I need to lead Ellerslie. I need to do this. Okay, you want to lead Ellerslie? How about you keep your focus right here, and I'll show you how to lead Ellerslie. Yeah, but I, well, what about what about? Well, there's some stuff going on in the Ardennes. I heard some critters rumbling around. Mm-hmm. I know what they are. Will you trust me? I'll deal with them. I squash critters for a living. 
So what are you listening intently to? The surreptitious movements of little critters on the forest floor? Is that what you're listening to? Hark! Hark, I hear critters! Yeah, I, there's a ton of them, guys. And if you stay up all day long, all night long, listening to critters scurry about, malevolently scheming to destroy you, you will forever be listening. And you will forget about your God. Or there's something else you could be listening to. Or to the triumphant song of the Almighty, which was and is, and is to come. He has a song. Let me finish with the story of Ulysses. Some of you may have heard this. This is way back uh, God's, uh, when God wrote your love story. I use this story. So this is like 1998 in that book. So this is Greek mythology, sorry. I mean, I know, I'm not trying to elevate it at any level, but it's a pretty cool story. Ulysses is a captain of a ship, and the rumor has it that uh, no one, no hot, red-blooded uh, ship captain has been able to make it past the siren coastline. You know, these beautiful mermaid-like creatures that sing this intoxicating melody. And so Ulysses declares he's going to do it. He's going to make it past in his own vigor and strength. He's going to do it. And so he comes up with a strategy, and that is as they get close to the siren coastline, he ties himself to the mast, and he, you know, he has all of his crew stick beeswax in their ears so that they can't hear it, so they will not be mesmerized, but he could still hear it. And so he, he makes sure that they... They promise they will not untie him no matter what he screams at them, no matter what shoutings he, he, uh, he gives out. And so it's just this miserable experience past the Siren coastline. And, and Ulysses is like, let me go, untie me. He wants so desperately to turn his ship towards that Siren coastline. He's hearing it's such a luscious melody, and he must hear. But they make it, and after they get out of distance, then he like, you know, falls to you know into a limp rag, and they untie him, and he falls to the, uh, the the floor of the ship. And what a miserable way he made it! Hey guys, you have to admire that he made it past the siren coastline. First captain to do it. Well, or. Maybe not. There's another ship that maybe is never recorded, right? Uh, we do know about it in Greek history, but it's this other ship, and it's captained by a, a captain named Orpheus. And as Orpheus is approaching this deadly shoreline of the sirens, no one panics. In fact, all of his crew cheer. Do they not know? Do they not know how dangerous that is up ahead? And instead, Orpheus looks back at them because he sees his smiling, adoring men looking at him. And he winks at them and says, <clears throat> yep, go get my instrument. And so they run and get his instrument. I don't know what kind of instrument it was, but I always picture some kind of violin-like uh, instrument. And he unpackages it. And meanwhile, right at the time that the siren sound is beginning to ebb across the waters, he begins to play. And they make it past the siren coastline. And guess what? Not one of his crew members even thought about what the sirens were singing. Why? because they were listening to a sweeter song. The enemy has a song that he wants to bewitch us with. The question is, are you ready to turn to your champion, your captain, and say, could you play for me your song right now? I want to hear what you have accomplished. I want to know of your heroics. I want to know who you are. And guess what that causes? All of the critters rumbling around in the Ardennes to suddenly seem rather ridiculous in light of the triumph of our great king. Father, fix our gaze on you right now. To whatever degree there is a need for repentance inside of us as the church of Jesus Christ, please bring it about for we have been played. Lord Jesus, I pray that our gaze would be fixed on you and that as we fix it there, you would lead us through this hour of darkness. Lord Jesus, you would showcase your triumph and declare afresh that all things are underneath your feet. Lord, bring down the wolf pack. In the authority of Christ's name, we repel them and we declare that the operations of lawlessness, of fear, and of deception would have no place in this country. Lord Jesus, may righteousness reign. May unrighteousness be judged. May you set captives free, men and women that are currently subservient to the hostile empire of darkness. May they be set free to become servants of righteousness. 
Lord Jesus, we set this request before you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.